Hi folks, before we start the podcast, uh, this is an actual really, really excellent broadcast that Rory put together uh, for students in Maynooth University uh, on the right to housing and what the difference it would make. Uh, really grateful to Aoife Kelly Desmond of Mercy Law Centre for allowing us to make this recording and put it out to you as a podcast. Uh, so I just want to thank her on the record for that. I also want to encourage you to go to eventbrite.ie and join us on the Easter Bank Holiday Weekend in the Sugar Club for a live podcast. Uh, tickets are on sale now that's at eventbrite.ie and just check for the tortoise shack you'll find us there um, if you're listening to these podcasts if you get something out of them if you enjoy them there's no ads there's no sponsors it's purely listener and member led that's the only way we pay our bills so it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack there's tons of additional content as well as access to these as they're done this was recorded last week it went out immediately for our patrons we're now sharing it publicly there's also exclusive member, exclusive podcasts, as well as the Sunday show. Uh, but again, I'd encourage you, please just click on the Patreon link. See if there's a level that you think, you know what, I actually like what these guys are doing, or, or I hate what these guys are doing, but I think it still adds something to the discourse. It adds, it adds something to, to the media environment. And maybe uh, maybe click a little link where you're, you're happy enough to support us. It would really, really, really be appreciated. I'll let you enjoy the podcast and stop pleading with you now. Thank you. Welcome to Reboot Republic, a podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. And today we have a podcast about the right to housing. It's a discussion that myself and Aoife Kelly Desmond, who's a managing solicitor from the Mercy Law Centre, had as part of the Social Justice Week in Maynooth. Um, and it starts with a presentation from Aoife around why there should be a right to housing in our constitution and what should the wording of that be um, and what would it actually achieve. And then after Aoife gives her presentation, I then talk about, I suppose, the, the practical aspects of what would it really achieve in terms of addressing homelessness, addressing issues around generation rent, rental security, um, and also the wider housing crisis and why putting a right to housing in the Constitution is not the only, clearly not the only solution to the housing crisis. Building homes is what's needed. Building affordable and social homes is the real solution. Um, but also we need to stop the evictions that are happening, to stop the flow into homelessness, to stop people losing their rental homes that is urgently needed. And part of the reason why that isn't being done at the moment, the government is saying, is because the right to private property of landlords in the Constitution is a barrier to that. So I outlined that and then we also have some questions from uh, the audience at the time who were students and others interested in this. Um, and so you can um, check out if you want to find out more about the right to housing in the Constitution. You can check out the Home for Good Coalition, which I'm part of on homeforgood.ie. And you are likely to hear more about this in the coming months, um, hopefully, because the newly formed Housing Commission set up by uh, the Minister for Housing, is looking at the referendum, 
which the government promised in its programme for government. Um, and uh, they are exploring that and, and going to see and make a recommendation to government about what that referendum should be. And it's important that um, people understand that that referendum was set out in the programme for government as a referendum on housing. It doesn't actually state explicitly that it is a referendum on the right to housing. But um, as listeners will be well aware, um, I think it's vital that that is a referendum on the right to housing. Um, and so that's really important, I think, in the coming months that we um, make that clear that that should be what this referendum is about and that it has to be a meaningful referendum. So what would it be? What would it achieve? Um, Aoife is going to set that out. Aoife has um, a long experience in the area of law and, and the Mercy Law Centre as well have done incredible work on supporting people in terms of access um, to housing and on the right to housing as well. And as always, as listeners, you're well aware, um, the Reboot Republic podcast is produced by Tortoise Shack Media. Um, Tony Groves is the producer. It's um, cost to produce, to host. These things um, aren't free, but we do not get any sponsorship um, or advertising. So we're completely dependent on our listeners, completely dependent on you to keep the show on the road, to keep the lights on to cover the costs of these um, producing the podcasts. So if you can, please go over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. And you can sign up to become a monthly supporter, a monthly Patreon of um, Reboot Republic. You can pay two euro, five euro um, or more if you can a month to help us keep going. Um, and even if you can go on for a few months, that would be great. And as we always say, and as the podcasters say, if you could and you'd like to meet us for a cup of coffee, you'd buy us a cup of coffee probably. So this is a way to do that and help us keep going. So go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. And yeah, I hope you find this interesting, engaging. It's a really important, really, really important um, step I think this country needs to make. And hopefully it's going to happen. I do feel hopeful about this. Um, it's clearly not uh, assured by any measure mean, but I do think there is real momentum for it now. So let's keep that going and let's be hopeful that that will happen. Um, and we'll keep pressuring from it for here. So hope you enjoy the podcast and we will um, talk to you soon. Um, so we should have hopefully 15 to 20 minutes um, for Q&A. People want to come in. Okay, I will hand it over to you, Aoife. Thanks, Rory. And uh, thanks, everyone, for coming uh, this afternoon. So what I'm going to talk about a little bit at the start today is, I suppose, firstly, why are we talking about a right to housing? Why do we think one is needed? And particularly in that context, how are the rights we currently have in the Constitution unbalanced in the way that they look at housing and private property? We're going to then talk about what the outcome of a right to housing referendum could look like and then what some of the implications of that would be if a right to housing was added to the constitution, what, what might that mean? Um, so I suppose kicking off with the start, why do we need a right to housing? Um, so Rory's already said there that, you know, Home for Good as a coalition uh, has been involved for a long time in campaigning for a referendum to be held on this issue and so have a lot of other individuals and organisations uh, for quite some time. 
Um, might just say briefly at the start about Mercy Law, just so people know the perspective that we come at this from. Uh, just for anyone who isn't familiar with us, uh, we're an independent law centre which provides free legal advice and representation to people who are homeless or at risk of homelessness. And really what we try and do is to use the law as a tool to help alleviate the burden of homelessness and also to help people who are in a housing crisis to get past legal barriers that might be in front of them and that might be preventing them from accessing safe and secure housing. Um, and look, as I'm sure you can imagine, in the course of that work, there are a lot of different legal issues that we come across and different bits of legislation, practices, regulation and so on that might, in specific cases, cause issues or cause particular um, barriers to come up. But really, by far the most fundamental issue that uh, underpins everything we do is the lack of an explicit protection for a right to housing in the basic law of the state, which is the constitution. And, you know, this is, I think Rory will talk more about, you know, some of the more um, practical and economic things that go with a right to housing. But at a really basic level, this was the question that we ask ourselves is, you know, if we don't accept as a society that people have a right to be able to access adequate housing, I mean, how could we ever hope that we will be able to fix the housing crisis with all of the complexities that go into that? Um, so for all of those reasons, we believe there is a really urgent need to be amending the constitution to close the gap that's currently there and to explicitly recognise that there is a right for all people to access adequate housing. Um, now, this is something that's been being fought for for a long time, but there has been, you know, some, I suppose, more traction um, in the last um, number of months. Uh, firstly, in Housing for All, the government has committed to holding a referendum on housing. Uh, and the Commission on Housing that was recently established has set up a referendum subcommittee that's going to look specifically at this issue. Uh, so those are obviously really positive steps. There's been, a, I think, a sort of tentative commitment that there might be a proposal by the end of this year coming out of the Commission on, on what should happen in terms of a referendum. But I suppose the thing is, there's still a, a bit of devil in the detail of what that's actually going to mean, because a referendum on housing could mean an awful lot of things. And really, I suppose from our perspective, for it to actually be meaningful and actually have an impact, it needs to be a referendum to put to the country to add a right to housing into the constitution as a standalone right. Um, something that's weaker than that, and that just looks at sort of tweaking around the edges of existing provisions that are there, just really wouldn't go far enough. Um, so, so maybe to, to get into then what we currently have in the Constitution and how it currently looks, um, you know, when it comes to rights, the Constitution is meant to protect our basic fundamental rights that we as a society recognise as essential to everybody. And, you know, when you look at housing, there really, you know, there are few more essential needs than the need to shelter, right? Shelter, food and water are the basic things that we all need as people to survive and in a more modern developed society like we have now in Ireland, more than just shelter, but actually a home is really fundamental. And for every person's dignity and for their ability to participate meaningfully in society and form a foundation of your life, you need a safe and secure home. And really at a very basic level, that's what the right to housing is about. It's about a very basic recognition that as society, we do believe that everyone has a fundamental and basic right to be able to meet that need. Now, I imagine some people might be listening to me talk about this and think, well, like, surely that is already the case. And uh, unfortunately, it isn't. And the reason we think it's expressly needed to be recognising a right to housing in the Constitution is that the way our Constitution is currently uh, formulated is 
with a really fundamental imbalance toward the protection of private property rights. And there are two different provisions in the Constitution that expressly deal with property rights and Article 43, Article 40.3. So while you have those quite strong express protections there for private property, there's absolutely no equivalent right to housing anywhere in the Constitution. And the reason that matters so much is that it means that the starting point of any legal analysis around how land is regulated or any legislation or policy that impacts on land or the use of land, it's always starting from the starting point of the property owner's right. And the constitution does recognise that private property rights can be restricted when it's in the interest of the common good, but it's still a starting point of the private interest and the common good only comes into it later on where the state is looking to justify limiting private property rights in some way. And that is ultimately quite a one-sided analysis, and it doesn't factor in all of the other rights that are in society and that can be relevant to these kinds of uh, decisions. It's also a very complex analysis. The case law in this area is hideously complex, and uh, trying to foresee how a common good uh, analysis is going to come out is something that's very challenging. Um, And I suppose that reflects is reflected then in the reality that we see policymakers repeatedly ruling out making progressive housing policy, making progressive change to really try and tackle the housing crisis on the basis that the constitutional private property rights prevent them from doing so. Um, Now, not everybody accepts that that's the case. It will be our own view and the view of, I think, quite a lot of academics and others in this area that a broader interpretation could be taken of what the common good means and how that fits into the constitution. But it's certainly the case in reality that whether it's an actuality or just a perceived reality, the current structure of the Constitution and the complete lack of anything sitting on the other side of that weighing scales expressly in the Constitution does prevent and inhibit the state from undertaking certain more progressive policies and taking certain steps. So that's why the idea of rebalancing the Constitution to recognise a parallel right to housing that sits there, it doesn't There's no alteration to the existing property rights, but there's an addition of a new right that's recognised and sits alongside of the others, has a lot of benefits. Um, I suppose firstly, and again, you know, this might sound a little bit esoteric, but it is important. The constitution is our fundamental law of the state and it is a reflection of our values as society. And that's why, you know, as the constitution has changed over the years to reflect as our values as society have changed and Correcting the imbalance that we have in the constitution now by reflecting the right to housing would send a very important message about what we as society actually value and what we as a society expect the state to do in its actions um, when it's acting on our behalf. And then more than that, for the reasons I've just mentioned, it would also have a real impact on the state's approach to tackling the housing crisis by adding a weight to the other side of the equation when it's considering these kinds of decisions. Um, and, you know, when you kind of in that context, when you look at the Commission on Housing that's been set up, pretty much the first thing they've done is set up this referendum subcommittee, which is really welcomed. And even in Housing for All, you know, the commitment to hold a referendum on housing, it's, it's right at the start. It's in the initial strategy first steps around establishing a sustainable housing system. And that's because this isn't just, you know, one of 20 different measures that you might undertake. It's actually a really basic fundamental measure that needs to be taken to really bring our constitution in line with what we as a society actually value. Um, So I suppose that's a little bit of where we currently are. Um, But as I mentioned at the start, there's a lot of different things that could be put forward in a referendum on housing. So in terms of what's proposed and what what could different look like, 
the Home for Good coalition that uh, we're a part of and others have also proposed this have a particular kind of wording that we put out there as what would be an ideal scenario for recognition on housing. And that wording comes from the position that I've just talked about, which is about this rather than tweaking with existing property rights or making any changes to them, it's about just recognising a parallel existing right to um, the right to housing that would then be weighed up when these kinds of decisions are made. So the way that it's proposed to do that by Home for Good and others is that a new Article 43A would be added to the Constitution and it would set out a directly enforceable standalone right to access adequate housing and also include a statement of the state's obligation to realise that right within the resources it has available. So I'm just going to read the wording um, specifically, which is firstly, that the state recognises and shall vindicate the right of all persons to have access to adequate housing. And the state shall, through legislative and other measures, provide for the realisation of this right within its available resources. And this proposal would take away the current overly narrow interpretation of property rights that are in the constitution as the starting point for housing policy and push this other position here to also form one of the first things that's considered when any housing policy is being made. It's designed to enable the government to respond to the housing crisis and I suppose you know the constitution is a document that will persist into the future so it's also designed to guard against future housing crises happening and coming up. And to do it in a way that properly balances and fairly balances the different interests that we have in society. Also, by dealing with the point about available resources, it does reflect the reality that housing policy is to some extent resource dependent. And we're not going to suggest and no one, I think, would suggest that a right goes into the Constitution that requires the state to do something regardless of what it has available to it, because you can't create something out of nothing. So it's also balanced by reflecting that reality that as a socioeconomic um, right that there is. Um, a reflection of the reality that it has to be um, balanced against the resources that the state has. And what it would mean is that, you know, where you have um, the legislature looking at bringing in new laws or the courts reviewing the validity of existing laws uh, that touch on these rights, it would mean that the legislature and the courts would have to balance the private property rights against the right to housing and make a decision based on well-established constitutional principles of how you balance competing rights around proportionality, rationality and everything else. So it would slip, slot into the existing constitutional framework we have um, as an additional right to be considered. And I've spoken a lot about balance and that's obviously really important, but as well as the balance, it would also really help to reframe the state's role in housing and to reframe it from the current situation where the state is really seen as a protector of private property rights, first and foremost, to showing the state as actually being a protector of our basic human rights. Um, so, so I've spoken quite a bit about what a right to housing could look like or should look like. I'm just going to talk very briefly about what, I suppose, isn't currently proposed as a right to housing and what the right that I specifically just outlined, the wording I've outlined, wouldn't mean. Um, and this was the reason I, I'm doing that is that, you know, there's been a bit more talk about the right to housing and the referendum recently because of the various developments that have been happening with the commission and so on. And oftentimes, I'm sure people will have heard this on various radio shows and things like that. Um, the first question that is often asked of anybody who's promoting the right to housing is does this not just mean giving everyone a free house um and it's very important to be clear that it absolutely doesn't firstly constitutional rights you know they don't work like that they're not directive in this way they're principled constitutional change doesn't mean 
mandating the state to give everybody a house or give everyone a house where they want it. It's about actually putting it on the state that in the way they exercise their policies, the way they exercise their duties, they have to consider this right. And, you know, this was as part of that, it's also worth mentioning, you know, obviously for us at Mercy Law, we come from the perspective of people who are facing homelessness, but a right to housing isn't just about social housing, housing for people who are homeless, or any kind of direct state provision of housing to individuals. It touches on every aspect of the state housing policy. And that's important because the housing crisis that we have now in Ireland is not limited to particular areas or particular socioeconomic groups. It touches on everybody and it touches on people at very different ends of the spectrum in terms of their access to property and resources because of the fundamental shortage we have of suitable and adequate housing at the moment. And this right to housing and what it would require the state to do in terms of considering people's right to access housing would touch on all of that. It would touch on issues around how affordable housing is. Is there availability of appropriate types of housing in appropriate areas where there's a need for housing? Uh, how secure is rental tenure? All of those different things. And, you know, again, when we talk about balancing the right to owner, uh, the right of property owners with uh, the right to housing, again, Obviously, still the largest category of, um, I suppose, uh, of how, where people live in Ireland is still home ownership. We're still very, um, very much heavily weighed in favour of home ownership as a country. And it's important to recognise that adding a right to housing absolutely doesn't detract from that. It's adding another right that will apply to homeowners, because as a homeowner who lives in a property you own, you would now have your right to private property protection, your right to inviability of the dwelling and your right to housing. So it's actually increasing the rights for people who own their own homes rather than in any way undermining those. And this was really the headline point to get across is that the idea behind this proposed wording in general around the proposal around a right to housing is that it isn't to direct that the state do something specific or put in place some specific type of housing policy, but it's really to just put in place a basic floor of legal protection for this really fundamental need that the state has to always consider when it's carrying out its duties. And, you know, this was just to kind of sum up then, recognising a right to housing in Ireland would be a really strong positive step, I think, in reflecting our values as a society and you know the housing crisis has gone on for so long now and it's touched so many people it is important for us I think as a society to come together and recognize that we do believe that everybody should have a right to be housed and to, to adequate access adequate housing and it also supports really part of a long-term vision of our society as being more inclusive and more caring and really providing enduring protections for the basic human rights that we all have no matter what what's to come in the future um, so I could talk about this at quite a bit of length, but um, I think I've, I've already gone on for long enough. So I might stop at that point and hand over to Rory. And I think as Rory said, if there's any questions on, on my part, we can uh, take them at the end uh, of the presentations. Great, Aoife. Thank you so much for that uh, really good, uh, excellent overview. Um, and I think really set out very clearly um, the case for uh, putting a right to housing and a very clear, as you say, standalone right to housing in the constitution. Um, the I suppose just I wanted to set out I suppose some practical areas where it could make a difference, um, and I think address as well that broader question of would it actually make any difference? And I think that the starting point 
in the conversation about, you know, a right to housing and putting it in the constitution, I think we have to start with looking at, you know, what is the situation at the moment with our housing crisis um, and our homelessness crisis? And the um, reality is that we have been in a housing crisis, I would argue, for over 20 years now, two decades. We can go back to from the late 1990s onwards where housing started becoming disconnected from um, the reality of people's incomes, uh, when our state stopped building social housing um, and essentially turned to the market to largely provide housing. Um, And we have seen since then, and particularly acutely over the last decade, the last 10 years since 2012, this real um, emergence of a housing crisis and a homelessness crisis where a generation have been locked out of getting affordable homes to buy or rent. And for me, the, the part of the reason why, a large part of why we have this crisis is because the lack of policy direction, that there has been a confusion within policy, within national housing policy, as to what objectives it is serving, as to what principles it is following. And we can look at them, uh, broadly housing policy sets out to achieve um, and for example, the, the, the most recent housing for all policy sets out to achieve, you know, affordable, secure homes that are sustainable, sustainable um, environmentally for people uh, as a choice basis. But then when you go into the actual detail of what policies do, they pursue all sorts of policies. For example, the promotion of private investment. Um, and as I will go on to explain, we have policy contradictions between on the one hand, saying that it absolutely supports, for example, home ownership, while on the other hand, allowing things that make home ownership more difficult, for example, um, the increased role of investment funds, the hoarding of land, um, the continued allowance of the the, uh, significant vacant properties, derelict properties. We also have the policy intention of, for example, ensuring renters, private renters, have secure Um, affordable homes. Yet, on the other hand, policy does not intervene to, for example, freeze rents. Um, And as I will go into the example of um, evictions, um, does not stop evictions of people into homelessness. And part of the reasons for this, government has stated explicitly, is that there is a right to private property in the constitution, which restricts what the government can do. So we have to take it on face value. And there was a very interesting report done by um, the Eroctus um, Research um, Agency, which showed that over the past six to eight years, there were at least 12 pieces of legislation that were proposed in the Dáil to address various aspects of the housing crisis, for example, freezing rents, for example, removing the ability of landlords to evict tenants where they had a a buy-to-let mortgage, um, and they were turned down on the basis that they breached the private property rights of either land, uh, in particular of landlords, but also of landowners. Um, And if we look at, there are a number of areas where the constitution is actually blocking real change on housing. And some will argue very um, uh, that, as Aoife pointed out, that the current property rights in the constitution are limited by the common good 
um, and social justice, which is set out. But the problem is that might be the case. But the reality of policymaking is that time and time again, the constitutional protection of private property is pointed to as a reason why policies cannot be made. And I'll give a number of examples. The um, government has put in place a vacant sites act. So we know we have a major problem with the hoarding of land that could potentially be building housing. Um, but private landowners have um, a tax was put in place in 2017. Um, and that tax, though, was very limited, very limited the number of sites that it affected. A new tax has now been proposed on vacant sites. But again, it's very limited in part because of the constitutional, what the government describes is um, their reluctance to, or their inability because of advice that they have received from the Attorney General to go for more stronger taxes on vacant land. Um, similarly, the issue with vacant and derelict property. We have not seen a, a very strong vacant sites or vacant property tax, a vacant homes tax. And again, this is because, as been cited, issues of constitutional protection of private property. And this has to be a fundamental question, that how can we allow, for example, in, in upward of 90,000 homes be vacant while we have people homeless, while we have people in need of a home? And part of the blockage to the state acting on that is the constitutional protection of the right to private property. If there had been a very clear right to housing as set out by IFA and the Mercy Law Centre and Home for Good in the constitution, which balanced that private property right, it would give the government a very clear legal guidance of what it can do in, for example, putting in place very high taxes on vacant and derelict property. Um, and we, I think that what, what we need to, for me anyway, a very important area that needs to be um, highlighted as a problem and that one that the Constitution, putting a right to housing in the Constitution would address, is the area of homelessness. And if we look at homelessness in Ireland, what we've seen over the last eight years is homelessness increase year after year and families and children being made homeless, being put into then emergency accommodation, which is completely unsuitable um, and inappropriate. And I would calculate, and we don't, and this is part of the problem, I would calculate that we have in the region of um, possibly 30,000 children and their families were made homeless. That is, they were forced to leave their in the last, um, since 2014. Um, but we don't have the exact figures on that because the government doesn't collect them. Our local authorities don't collect them because they have no legal obligation to. And I think it does stem back to the lack of a right to housing in our constitution, whereby we have policy that is not driven by the need from a constitutional level, the need to ensure everybody has access to affordable, secure housing. But five years ago, myself and my colleague in Maynooth, uh, Dr. Mary Murphy, did a report which showed the extremely damaging impact of time spent in emergency accommodation on children and families. Parents describing it as being like being in prison, being institutionalized, 
um, children, um, the, the, the mental health impact on children. Psychologists have shown that, you know, children spending um, periods of time in emergency accommodation is um, detrimental to their development, um, is inappropriate, damages them. Five years ago, we presented that report and the report and its findings were read out on the floor of the doll to the then Taoiseach, uh, Leo Varadkar. And my question would be, if politicians, the government, the state knows, knowingly knows what the damage that homelessness does to children and families, and yet allows it continue to increase year after year. For me, there's a fundamental problem with how our state views housing and its responsibility to ensure people have access to housing. And for me, that is why we need to put the constitutional right to housing, uh, the right to housing in the constitutional, to give that very clear responsibility to the state that it has to act. It's not a question of, you know, uh, responding at some emergency level, but it has to act to ensure people, and particularly children and families, are not spending time uh, being made homeless or spending extended periods of time being homeless. And other examples, I can give other examples, um, and people are probably aware of them, of particular groups in Irish society who've been particularly hit by the housing crisis. For example, um, women make up a third of those who are homeless in Ireland. That's over 2,264 women are homeless in Ireland. Many have experienced domestic violence. And we know that um, women who are leaving an abusive home, that many of them and significant amounts are going into homelessness. Um, and this is just you know, incredible that and, and wrong that we allow this to happen, that there is not an obligation on our state to ensure people who are who need to leave uh, situations of, of domestic abuse can access affordable, secure housing at a first point of call and not going into refuges and not going into uh, hidden homelessness, but actually have a home. And again, I feel a right to housing in the Constitution would require the state to act much more uh, swiftly and appropriately in responding to those situations. Another group in society which is, is very excluded, part of the hidden homelessness, is disabled people. We know that the census in 2016 showed that over a quarter of those who were homeless had a disability. and um, One in 10 had a chronic illness. We know as well that, for example, those with uh, disability find it very difficult to find appropriate accommodation using the housing assistance payment in the private rental sector, there are many in hidden homelessness. Our housing policy does not consider them adequately. Care leavers is another example. Travelers, another example. Those in direct provision. There are literally hundreds of thousands of households who are excluded within our housing system currently. Um, and part of the reason, I would argue, is a large part is because we do not, our policy is not driven, as I said, is not guided and is not orientated towards the policy of a right to housing and what that means. Um, and I think that like myself and others, just to a final example, have been making the case for um, a number of months now for a reintroduction of the ban on evictions 
and the rent freeze that was put in place during the COVID uh, lockdowns. I was looking at the figures there and analysing it, and I found that when you look at families being made homeless, that there was two um, bans on evictions put in place in March 2020, um, and then again they were th- there was from March 2020 to August 2020, and then from October 2020 until April last year. Um, and what was incredible to see that the ban on evictions immediately radically reduced homelessness, particularly of families being made homeless. One month after the ban was introduced in April 2020, just 14 families were made homeless. That was a dramatic reduction. And it was the first time in a decade that the presentations of families being made homeless fell. When the um, second ban was introduced again, the numbers fell to a five-year low of families in homeless accommodation. The ban was ended in March 2021. So, and there had been over since March 2020 to March 2021, that year of the eviction bans, over that period, there was a 38% fall in the number of families homeless in emergency accommodation. The eviction bans clearly worked. But since the lifting of that ban, the number of families presenting as homeless increased month after month after month since last April. Um, And in January of this year, there were 821 families homeless, up from 681 in in March of uh, 2021. And we saw that the number of children homeless increased from 2,100 in May 2021 to 2,563 in January this year, a 20% increase since the bans on evictions were lifted. As I said, a number of myself and others have made the case for the eviction ban to be reintroduced, but the government has cited very clearly that the constitution and its protection of private property is is a barrier to reintroducing that ban on evictions. If the constitution is a barrier to introducing the most effective measure to homelessness, to reducing homelessness for children, family, children and family, then clearly it has to be changed um, and we need a right to housing put in it. And just to finish, um, I think that it is very clear that putting a right to housing in our constitution will not solve the housing crisis. Nobody's arguing it will. Um, But what it is, is a very important for me driver. And it is a driver at a societal level in that as a society, as Aoife said, we will be deciding that we believe housing is a human right. We're putting it in our constitution. And what that means is that our state will be obliged, our governments, our local authorities, our state agents will be obliged to fulfill that right. And in if we look at the major changes that have happened in Irish society, they've only happened when our Irish state, when the state has been forced into it in reality, by society, by new laws. And I think, again, we need to see that the right to housing, putting it in the constitution would achieve um, significant change. But again, that change would be dependent on people continuing to work for it, on policymakers implementing it. But I do believe it's a very important step in creating the societal will um, that would create a political pressure that would require a greater um, policy implementation of the examples that I've given to address the housing crisis. Um, 
And ultimately, it is the building of social and affordable homes and preventing people from becoming homeless that delivers the right to housing. Um, and I think that putting it in the Constitution would be an important step to achieving that. So thank you very much um, for everyone for uh, listening to me ramble on a bit there. Um, so I'm now going to open it to questions if anybody has any questions or comments. So a question that came in there is on other countries that have the right to housing in their constitution. Um, and that's something that we need to address as well. So, uh, Yeah, so uh, it is in the constitution of, of quite a lot of countries. It is a right that's recognised in other places. And um, one of the places that we've been looking at it when kind of trying to come up with what a good wording would be, um, maybe one interesting example is South Africa because they have put in quite a similar I suppose a similarly framed right to what we're currently proposing which is reflecting um, reflecting how it interacts with state resources. Um, I would say the right to housing has had a mixed success in other countries constitutions because it has to be coupled by actual legislative change and by the courts actually getting behind the right and enforcing it. Um, I think that there are examples from a lot of different countries of how that has worked um, and those I think would all have to be drawn on for what we do here but it's certainly something that has been able to be successful in other countries and that has been used in other countries to I suppose, frame their housing policy in a, in a more holistic way. Yeah, and the other example, I think, which is very good, um, which is Finland. Uh, Finland has the right to housing in its constitution. Um, it states that uh, in its constitution, public authorities shall promote the right of everyone to housing and the opportunity to arrange their housing. And I think what's really important is that the phrase shall is there. It's an obligation um, and a duty. The Finnish constitution also says that those who can't obtain the means necessary for a life of dignity have the right to receive indispensable uh, subsistence and care. And I suppose that's important because Finland, of course, is the country, the one country in Europe that has significantly reduced its homelessness in recent years. And while um, they would make it very clear, it's it's the, the Y Foundation organization, housing association they set up that dedicated building housing for homeless families and individuals has been the key to solving their housing crisis. There is no doubt. And they will say that as a society, you know, Finnish people do not view housing, you know, as this investment asset. They see it as a society, as a social public good, which stems from that constitutional obligation. Um, and I think it's important as well uh, that, you know, and if I know you would say this, that it's not about putting something in the constitution. And, and I know Pora Kenna um, has written on this as well that putting it in the constitution then enables people to bring court cases. That's not what it's about. It's not like, you know, that that's what will bring the change. It's actually much more this kind of, um, what you might, would you call it a political or a social, you know, requirement and obligation on the state to put in place policies to fulfill that right, rather than, you know, opening up all these court cases that would achieve the change. Would you agree with that, Aoife, or what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And the ideal situation is that you're never having to take a court case and to enforce a constitutional right because it's 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 a very clear directive to the state on how it's expected to act by society. Um, so it, it shouldn't be necessary. Um, and yeah, it's certainly not about bringing this in just to take court cases because that doesn't get anybody anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
there's another question in the chat there about um, the uh, sorry, just on we might as well take it while we're on the courts question uh, is given that the courts have shown their reluctance to issue mandatory orders, how will the state be forced to realise the right? Yeah, so I, I guess I suppose part of that is what what Rory just said, which is you know partially a right in the constitution doesn't have to be subject to a court case to be impactful and meaningful, and it shouldn't be the case that it needs to be. Um, you know, particularly when it comes to rights and involved expenditure of state resources, there's always going to be a limit on the exact kind of direction that a court will give the state. But what what you can look at, I suppose, a good example is how the right to education has been treated in the Constitution. I think that's probably the best corollary of what we currently have. And there certainly have been some very clear statements by the court um, enforcing the right to education and what that means for individual people. And those statements have led to changes in state policy and some very important changes. So while, you know, I don't think anyone expects that putting a right to housing in the constitution means that a court somewhere is going to direct the state to build a housing estate in a particular site in a particular place. That's not, I think, you know, at all what, what's intended. But what it will do is create a framework that um, the state itself should be following and that the courts would consider when looking at these kinds of issues. Yeah, and I think, again, um, an important point on this is that the right to housing as well is about putting it in the constitution is also about empowering people who are being denied the right to actually um, see that they and feel that they have a human right to housing. That um, if we look at it, you know, I, I worked um, in Dolphin's Barn around the right to housing and around housing conditions, substandard housing conditions there. And you know, for, for most people, they don't feel they have a right to housing. And I, Mick Byrne has done research on this with private uh, rental tenants who feel completely disempowered with landlords to get them to address issues around the rent. Whereas if there was a right to housing in the Constitution that people were aware of, and I think that's part of the process of a referendum, that it would actually raise people's sense of, you know, we don't have to tolerate this. And that would be a really good thing of raising expectations so it's not about, you know, the courts achieving the change by putting in the Constitution, I think would actually empower people to, you know, challenge and, and address, you know, try and change their own housing situations. Um, the question there, Porig is asking, Porig, Ken is here, great. Uh, Porig, the, would the phrase access to adequate housing also include aspects like standards, long-term affordability and sustainable communities? Do you want to? Uh, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, the including the phrase access to adequate housing is, is really important because, you know, I don't think anyone in our society wants us to get to a place where the state is is thinking putting up a load of tenements somehow resolves its constitutional obligations. It has to be adequate housing in line with the societal standards of the day and it has to be able to adapt into the future what those standards are. So, I mean, I do think all of those things can form part of it and, you know, adequate housing it would be quite a broad term, kind of purposefully. It's a living term that could kind of evolve with our standards in society. So I don't see any reason why it wouldn't include those those sorts of things. I don't know, Rory, if you've if you've any other view on that. Yeah, well, I know that the wording um, that you know we worked on in terms of Home for Good and the legal subgroup worked on was very explicit in taking adequate housing being drawn directly from the United Nations definition of what is the right to housing which includes all those aspects. And I think that's really important that we keep reiterating that, that that's where 
that's what we mean. That's the interpretation of adequate housing, which means it's habitable, of decent standard, it's culturally adequate, which is very important in terms of traveler accommodation, and um, that it is accessible, which is very important in terms of disabled people. Um, so there's there's um, six or seven aspects to um, what is meant, what is defined by adequate housing by the United Nations, and that's what is intended. Um, question there on the general... Um, how would the public react to a referendum on the right to housing? Um, I suppose maybe, you know, the, my view on this, and this is just my own personal view, is like, I think, you know, any question about a referendum can get quite politicised and, you know, different interest groups get involved and you get into the granularity of, you know, what does this mean? And I think I addressed that a little bit in my presentation. The first question everyone asks is, does it mean a free house and things like that? But I think if you really distill down what the right to housing is actually about and about, you know, protecting people's basic rights, I personally do believe that, you know, our society is a compassionate society. And I think if you ask most people, if you frame the question the other way, do you think that there's people in our society who don't have a right to access adequate and secure housing? I really don't feel that many people would really think that. And um, so my personal view is that the general public would be very receptive to this and would understand where this right is coming from and how fundamental it is to everybody. But um you know, I suppose it's we're very much at the early days of this being an issue that's really being discussed outside of these kind of more academic and narrow circles. It's starting, you know, it's going to become a much bigger issue in the public in the coming months. So, so to kind of see how that how that turns out. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And I think that, um, you know, the uh, opinion polls undertaken by the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission have found that a majority of, of Irish people are in favour of putting the right to housing in the Constitution. Um, and that's obviously a particular opinion poll done before a referendum is, is you know, held or talked about. So there are issues. And I think, as Aoife, you know, outlined from from the start of this, that there it's still a question as to whether a referendum on housing would be a referendum on the right to housing and inserting what we have set out as the wording. Um, and I think that the, it's really important, as, as Aoife said, that, that that is a referendum on the right to housing that sets out in detail and does make a clear obligation on the state. So it does change. It, it can't be meaningless. Um, like it can't be ineffective and, you know, uh, uh, just a requirement, a basic requirement for shelter. It has to be a meaningful um, right to housing. And that that will mean resources are going to be additional resources are going to be required to allocate to housing. But I think everybody recognises that um, at this point. But and I, and I don't doubt that there will be, um, you know, there's no doubt that the landlord lobby are very likely to, you know, oppose this quite stringently. Investment funds could um, oppose it with very heavy lobbying power and um, owners of multiple properties are likely not to be looking on this too favourably. Um, but I think there's no doubt, I would agree with Aoife, the majority of people in Ireland see we need to change our, our approach to housing. They are compassionate. They believe in a socially just society. Um, so I think it would pass, but I don't, I think it, it will be a challenge to counter the, the significant, um, I suppose, that opposition to the, all those sort of bogeyman uh, arguments that will be put up there and strawman arguments. Um, and as I said, there is a battle, or not a battle, but a, a challenge. Hopefully it will be achieved and actually make it a right to housing referendum. The question on Ukraine I thought was interesting. Um, 
the in terms of the Ukrainian crisis having an influence on how much attention a referendum for a right to housing gets from government, uh, given that housing for refugees may become an issue fairly soon in the future. Now, if you want to come in on that, Aoife. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. And, you know, I suppose any time that there's a, you know, I suppose we'd all say we've been in a housing crisis for a long time in Ireland, but any time there's a particular crisis that comes to bear, it can be an impetus for change. And even, you know, I think just today there's, you know, been a long time uh, talk about trying to amend the Fair Deal scheme uh, to free up housing capacity. And now in light of the Ukraine crisis, there seems to be a renewed impetus to try and bring that through. So clearly housing is going to be being talked about a lot as this crisis goes on, if it does go on, because of the pinch point we have uh, in terms of housing availability. So I, I expect it would be a part of the discussion. Um, and I think to us, either way, the referendum on housing is going to get a bit of attention over the coming months as the Commission ramps up anyway. So I'd say it'll be part of the conversation, whether it makes the conversation happen sooner or or more broadly. I, I really, I really don't know. Yeah, and I think, you know, it does highlight, again, you know, our capacity as a society you know in in the future how do we support you know refugees coming in here asylum seekers part of the issue is we don't have the housing um that is provided you know we look at direct provision asylum seekers left in there uh for years um people who have their status granted been left there because they can't access housing um and yet we have this massive amount of vacancy and dereliction so i think you know Eve is right say hopefully this will show what could be done. Um, and just like COVID, which showed with the eviction ban, things that can be done. Um, and we do provide the housing that we have to do it. It, it is going clearly it, it is, you know, uh, Ukrainian refugees need housing. They will need are likely to be here long term, I imagine, that given what's happening in that country. So that's, you know, more housing we need to provide. But we can do it and we should do it uh, as a society and hopefully uh, we will open up um it will put more of an impetus on addressing the housing crisis more broadly as well. I hope you found that engaging, interesting. I think there's some, you know, really important, um, I think, detail there of what should be the wording of the referendum. I think that's really, really important. What should be the wording of the right to housing that's put in the constitution? There can be no... Um, this can't be a meaningless referendum um, that is tokenistic. It has to be meaningful. It has to put, as we said, that obligation on the state um, to ensure our housing system actually delivers an adequate right to housing. And that means accessible, affordable um, and, um, you know, adequate. So that's what we need. Um, I think it's a really important, could be really important step in this country in addressing the housing crisis. So let's get on the road. Let's make it happen. Um, thank you very much for listening. As always, patrons, we thank you so much for being a patron, for helping us keep this podcast going. But if you're not a patron, look deep inside your soul and inside your conscience, um, because we know all our listeners have consciences um, and souls too, of course. Um, well, that's probably a bit more of an existential question and possibly verging down the road of religion. And I haven't verged, gone too often, if ever, down that path. Um, definitely for another podcast where I have a bit of time. Um, but yes, be you a humanist, be you someone who believes in religion. Um, look inside your universality and your spirit and really consider becoming a patron of 
the most important uh, podcast platform in the country, um, the Tortoise Shack platform that produces Reboot Republic. It is our life support machine. Keep us going. Go over to patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. Sign up for whatever you can. Each month, two euro, three euro. They're tough times, but if you can, it'll help us keep going. Um, please do. And you will get the podcast first into your email. You'll get them before they go out um, everywhere else. And you also get access to the Sunday show that takes place every surprisingly Sunday, hosted by Tony and the crew, um, discussing the week's big issues. We also have a Tourist Track Live coming up as well. Um, so please do become a patron, become a supporter. And um, yeah, you'll sleep easier at night. So thank you very much. Talk to you all soon.